Come on in, find your seat, and, and if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the back table next to our offering box. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love it if you would uh, take one home with you. Um, being a part of a church, if, if this is your first week with us, or your 17th, or whatever week, uh, I mean, shoot, you've been parts of, you know, part of churches for, for, for a long time, some of you, but sooner or later... Even within the church, um, we will run into relational unrest with one another. There will, be, there will be strife. There will be a rift. There will be a disagreement. Because uh, anytime we get together with other sinners, <laughs> such as ourselves, uh, these things are bound to happen. And, 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 and I think that... Um, you know, it's easy during this season to, to think about all of the relational unrest in families because we're spending a lot of time with them. But, but, but this is, I think, in my opinion, an, an often um, uh, underutilized topic in the church, uh, how, how uh, Christians should go about relating to and with one another because of what Christ has accomplished for us. And that's essentially what we're going to be looking at today in Matthew 5, it's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture because in it, Jesus makes explicitly clear how Christians, you and I, how, how, how citizens of the kingdom of heaven ought to think, how we ought to act, how we ought to structure and live our lives. And, and, and what I love most about the Sermon on the Mount is it's not Jesus preaching from the mountainside all of these rules that we have to follow in order to become citizens, in order to gain his approval, in order to enter his kingdom. It, we do that by faith. We do that by simply saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I desperately need forgiveness. You are the only way that I can have peace again with God through your, through your death and, and resurrection. What Jesus is doing at the Sermon on the Mount is he's then showing, all right, so you've come to me by grace through faith. Now this is what the Christian life looks like. This is what it looks like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven that, that he is inaugurating. And one of the things that I love as well about the Sermon on the Mount is, is when we live according to Jesus' words in this sermon, we're living according to God's design for life. And when we live according to God's design... Um, there is blessing. There is happiness of heart. Happiness that transcends our immediate circumstances and, and resides deeply in the soul. There is a human flourishing at work when we live according to the way God designed us to live. And this is precisely why Jesus begins this sermon. As you can see, starting in verse 3, he begins this sermon with eight pronouncements of blessing. They're called the Beatitudes. Many of you know this. Every time we see that word blessed or blessed, if you're the King James fan in the room, every time we see that word blessed, it could also accurately be translated happy. Happy are the poor in spirit, right? We're going to look specifically today at verse 9, and only verse 9, but I'm going to read from verses 1 through 11 because 
It's far better to hear the word of God than my babbling mouth for more than I need to. So let's just read. We're going to read more scripture than we're going to look at today. We're going to look at verse 9, but let's uh, follow along as, as I read starting in verse 1. Jesus has been traveling around Galilee He's been healing, he's been calling people to repentance, Um, droves of people are coming to him and and following him and marveling at his miracle workings, and then he goes into verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 9, our passage. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecute, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we say that every week. This is the word of the Lord because we believe, according to your scripture, that this is the word of the Lord. That what we have just read in our reading it, in our hearing it, we have in fact heard from you. That's what we mean by this. We ask now that by your living and present Holy Spirit whom you have given to the church, you've you've given to your people, we ask that your Holy Spirit would now teach us this word. It is uh, highly theological. It is highly practical. It is wonderful. It's profitable to us to transform and conform us, Lord, more into the image of your Son, which is what we want. Even if we don't want it, even if we don't know we want that this morning, help us to want that, that we would look more like Jesus today when we, when we head to the cafe to eat together after this. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The, um, the word sons... Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, could also easily be translated descendants. So ladies, don't leave me. (laughs) Don't walk out. We're not just talking about the men. All of us are involved here. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of peacemakers. Maybe you think of a group of hippies in bell-bottom jeans Uh, surrounding a a line of soldiers and and dropping flowers down the barrels of their guns. Maybe when you think of peacemakers, you you go to the opposite spectrum. Uh, Maybe you think of Ralphie from the holiday movie The Christmas Story. 
uh, when he, he wanted his own peacemaker for Christmas, an official Red Ryder carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle, right? You guys have seen this, yes? Okay, all right. I'm not the only pagan in the room. Okay, so, so, so maybe, maybe that's where you go when you think of peacemakers. You know, leave here and, and ask your waitress or your neighbor, the per- person who shares a cubicle with you at work, what's a peacemaker? What, what, what does it actually mean to be a peacemaker? And I, I, I almost guarantee you, given today's cultural climate, uh, I, I, I almost guarantee you the answer would be something like, well, to be a peacemaker is to be someone who kind of lives by the motto, live and let live. You do you, I'll do me. You don't hurt me, I won't hurt you. Let's just call it kind of this, this big social truce, right? That's, 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 that's probably what you would hear if you were to just go and, and ask someone what they think. And, and that sounds about right. The problem is, is that the motto, live and let live, is in fact not anywhere close to biblical peacemaking. I mean, it, 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 we, we, could, we could really say that that's a form of peacekeeping. And, and, and peacekeeping and peacemaking, which we often confuse even in the church, they are not the same thing. They are not the same thing. Peacekeeping, as I've just hinted, is about maintaining some sort of a, of a truce, right? A truce is when two parties agree to stop shooting each other. They stop promoting violence against each other. Peacekeeping seeks to maintain a status quo. It is neither highly positive or highly negative. It's really a neutral sort of thing. Unfortunately, the church is inundated with peacekeepers. Christianity has bowed, in, 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 in much of modern-day American Christianity, has, has bowed to this idea of keeping the peace, living and letting live. At least we do to each other's faces, right? On Sundays, you know, we have our passing of the peace. We greet each other with a smile. We shake each other's hands. When we're asked how we're doing, we give one of three very spiritual answers, good, great, or blessed. You know, you know it's a good day if you're blessed, right? I'm not mocking. I'm just saying these are our default patterns when we are interacting with one another. In the church, when we have a disagreement with each other, and it's going to happen. It's likely already happening right now with you with me. You disagree with me. When we have a disagreement or when I sin against you, which is going to happen, or when you sin against me, our default mode, if we're honest, what we're most comfortable doing is lifting up the rug and doing the best we can to just kind of push it under there, we will avoid awkward confrontation at all cost, will we not? Most of us. Can't speak for everyone in the room. We'll do nearly anything to steer away from tension. And what we're doing is we're actually living into the mantra of live and let live. And in today's verse, Jesus is calling his disciples on that mount... And he's, he's calling his disciples here in Worcester to something very different than peacekeeping, okay? It is much different. What Jesus is calling us to is much more difficult. 
But what Jesus is calling, to, calling us to is much more beautiful. If you're like me, you know, reading through the Sermon on the Mount, this is a verse that's easy to skip over. It's, it's there. It's verse 9. It's not even an even number. Right? It's, it's verse 9. I'm blessed are the key peacekeepers, right? I, I, I haven't, before even prepping for this passage, I haven't really put much thought into the idea, but I think that we should. I think we should lean into this verse with all of the attention we can muster for a couple of, of reasons. Number, number one, um, we're going to uh, face relational unrest in our families, in our workplaces, in our church. We're fallen. We're going to interact with fallen people. There is going to be friction. It's one of the reasons why this verse is very applicable, especially in light of that we're coming up on the new year. It's a great uh, refresher for our minds. We'll get to this at the end, but a way that we can apply this in in the new year if you're into resolutions, if that's your your thing. Another another reason why we should give this verse all the attention we can muster this morning is because of what it says in James 3.18. There is a harvest of righteousness that is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness awaits peacemakers. King David agrees in Psalm 133 how wonderful, he writes, how wonderful it is when God's people live together in peace. The second reason why we should lean into today's passage is actually quite sobering. Or maybe it's the third reason. I don't know how many reasons I've given so far. Peacemaking, hear me, is part of of the irreducible, godlike character quality that all true believers must reflect. Peacemaking is part of the irreducible, godlike character quality that all true believers must reflect. Listen to the, to the writer in Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, those who will one day see the Lord and dwell with him forever are those whose faith is made visible right now by the way they strive to make peace with those around them. Does that make sense? The Bible does not give room for Christians, and I'm using the air quotes, The Bible does not give room for Christians who never pursue or grow in or delight in peacemaking. Once God the Holy Spirit has come into our hearts, applied the good news that we've heard with our ears and regenerated our hearts and made us new, we've come to faith in Jesus. Once that happens, we are in, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and we will be conformed and transformed into peacemakers. It will happen in the life of the true believer. Amen, amen, amen. amen. So do we see why verse 9, an odd number in the beginning of, of, of the sermon, on the, why it's, it, I love scripture for this reason. A, a verse that I would normally just jump over, just jump over, is just loaded with goodness. So let's 
dive in. The title of my sermon, if you're a note taker, is Blessed Are the Peacemakers. I thought for hours about that title. And in the time we have left, I want to explore um, two nearly embarrassingly simple questions. Two simple questions that I'll answer, that the the scripture will answer for us. These are going to be my two points. The first question is, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? I mean, let's just be simple and practical today. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? We're going to explore a bit of the theology of that. Secondly, we're going to look at how does one pursue peacemaking. And we're going to look at the, the, the practical application of that. Okay? Number one, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? The, the answer to this question is actually tucked into a bit of review. We just finished a series, One Story, One Savior. We looked at the whole Bible in four weeks, and we divided the Bible into four acts, creation, the fall, redemption, restoration. We go back to creation in the fall. We're going to start getting into what it means to be a peacemaker. The Bible tells us that God created the world. If you weren't here with us or if you've never heard that, God created the world and everything in it, and he made it very good. And everything that he created was in a state of wholeness and fullness and goodness and glory. Nothing was missing. Nothing was out of line. Everything was complete because God said so and because God was there. He created Adam and Eve whom he had created to steward the, 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 the earth, he, to reflect his image and to walk in loving relationship with him. Everything was complete, right? Doesn't this sound amazing? Wholeness, fullness, goodness, and glory. The, the, the Hebrew word has, has a word, shalom, to describe the way things were at creation. It is the essence of peace. Everything in its right and full, complete posture. But that essence of peace, shalom, did not last long as we remember from Act 2, the fall. It didn't last long by only the third chapter of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve became distrusting of God's goodness and they disobeyed him. They, they, they turned their backs to him and, and shalom was broken. Remember? What was once holy became unholy and with the blink of an eye, Where there was shalom, an anxious unrest fell upon all of creation. And like a quaking, groaning ship that is sinking into the sea, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 that now all of creation groans because of this disorderly unrest that has fallen on all creatures and all of creation. Bible doesn't end there, thank goodness, as we saw, Act 3, redemption, that we, we, we see this promised rescuer who will come to, com- to make everything complete and whole and new again. He would restore shalom, and isn't it fitting that the promised rescuer of Scripture is also known as the Prince of Peace? And what really sets, sets the story of Christianity apart from, from every other faith story in the world is that Jesus would come and make peace not by slaying his enemies like we would think, but by being slain for his enemies. 
He would make peace by the blood of his cross. He would reconcile sinners. He would restore shalom breakers back to himself and back to shalom. It is this very promised prince of peace, this rescuer, who is preaching to the disciples around him on uh, on the mount, and he is the one saying, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, happy are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons and daughters of God. And so when asking ourselves, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? We needn't really look any further than the peacemaker, Jesus. A peacemaker is someone who lives at peace with God and who gives that peace to others. Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, is God And since eternity past, he has existed forever in harmony, in unity, in peace with God the Father and God the Spirit. No division, no unrest, no competition among them, just shalom. Doing a little bit of Trinitarian theology this morning, just a little. So just like Jesus, at peace with God, a peacemaker is someone who firstly lives at peace with God. I mean... You can't give what you don't live, right? A mountaineer can't uh, lead a climbing expedition of people up a mountain that he himself has never climbed. So Jesus, living in peace with God, is able to give that peace to others. But there's a problem for us, isn't there? Because we don't come out of the gate living at peace with God. The book of Romans alone makes that explicitly clear. Romans 3 Just like Adam and Eve, you and I, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all fallen away from peace and shalom with God. That's the problem. And there's nothing we can do to repair that chasm in and of ourselves. That's the bad news that precedes the good news that we sing about every week, that this rescuer... He really did come to restore. He, he, he came to complete and, and make whole and new again all of creation. He didn't have to. He willingly chose to. And now, because of Christ, when we come to Jesus in response to his death and resurrection that was, that was enacted in our place, When we come to him, we can now come back to peace. We are ushered into peace with God when we simply recognize that Jesus alone can save us. This is how we come back to peace. So now you and I, like Jesus, can once again live at peace with God through the reconciling truth and love of Jesus. Now... Now that we, as Christians, can live at peace with God, peacemakers go another step further to then go and give that peace to others. 2 Corinthians 5.18, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come, and all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry now of reconciliation. Now that we've been brought back into peace with God through Jesus, we've now been commissioned into the ministry of peacemaking, of reconciliation. And we actually, when we do this, we get to participate with God the Holy Spirit as he brings shalom back into creation 
back into our homes and churches and neighborhoods and schools and workplaces and so forth. Though it's not specified in our verse, in in, in verse 9, we read elsewhere in Scripture that, that those of us, you and I, who are now at peace with God because of the gospel, we're to take this gospel peace to the nations, Matthew 28, We're to take this gospel peace to our neighbors, Matthew 22. We're to take this gospel peace to our friends, Colossians 3. To our spouses, Ephesians 4. To our children, Galatians uh, 4. To people of other races and colors and ethnicities, Ephesians 2. And even to our enemies, which Jesus goes into a little bit later in Matthew 5. Now... Living at peace with God is one thing. And giving that peace now to the difficult people around us, including our enemies, is not an easy thing. There's a reason why the writer of Hebrews tells us to strive for peace with everyone. That word could be work, toil, grind, um, fight. Right? Fight for peace. Isn't that an odd paradox? We gotta fight for peace. We have to fight to make peace with the people around us. But it is a fight because peacemaking comes very unnaturally to us. We've already talked about our tendency to sweep things under the rug. Because I don't know if you've had to, um, you know, deliberately enter uh, a conversation in the context of a relationship that has a lot of friction going on, it is very uncomfortable. Do you not get that just, that almost gutted soul feeling of just, oh, I gotta do this, I gotta, it's, it's not a comfortable thing. And so in our sin, we have a couple of tendencies just to run back, like I said, to keeping the peace. And I have some introspective questions to ask here. I wonder how many of us treat the people in our lives like this. See, instead of going to a person and saying, brother, I think that I see some sin in your life. Or sister, you really hurt me with the way that you said that. Our tendency is to simply avoid those conversations to resolve, to keep quiet. We, 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 we keep the peace and avoid making the peace in order to maintain a, a kind of pseudo-comfortable relationship, right? We often do this with the lost as well, with, with, with non-Christians out in the, the community who's, who are literally dying to hear the good news of Jesus. But instead, you know, I, if you're like me, I'm often driven by the fear of rejection. I'm driven by the fear of man. And I, I resort to just kind of living and letting them live. Which many people would say, that's a really loving thing to do. Not according to scripture, it's not. We need to preach to ourselves. If you're like me and, and you are just in toil about having this difficult conversation with a brother that needs to be had. Or if you're in toil about, about 
ministering to and sharing the gospel with somebody at work. We need to preach to ourselves, Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, that the very same God of peace who raised Christ from the dead, brothers and sisters, do you believe this? In the moment, he will equip you with everything good that you may do his will. We needn't, we needn't fear Jesus' directive to us to be peacemakers because he will in fact supply the strength and the words and the ability to do just that. He's not asking us to do something that he won't equip us to do. That's what, that's what Hebrews 13 is driving at. He will work through us that which is pleasing in his sight. Now, I would ask you, uh, as your pastor, as your brother in Christ, uh, I've, I've, I've said this before, and, and, I, and I hope that we create a culture of this here in this church. If you see sin in my life that's, that's a pattern, that's a cycle, you've observed me for long enough, you've seen this is, a, this is a blind spot, don't just live and let me live. Don't do it. Please, for my own sanctification and, 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 and conformity to the image of Christ, I want to know and I pray that you want to know as well and that we would be a church of people, a, group, a congregation of people who do not shy away and sweep things under the rug when we need to instead roll up our sleeves and make peace with one another. Or maybe another one of our sinful tendencies when faced with relational friction Maybe we just simply sever ties with the difficult people in our lives. I'm, I'm guilty of this at, at times. People who rub against me the wrong way or go against the grain or I don't want to have one more difficult conversation and, and, and you could almost just shut that door. With this mindset... I, 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 I fear the, the, the constant breaking of fellowship, not only with the body of Christ, but think about the way that this might, the repercussions this might have on, on the lost around us, the, the, the lost in the, in the community of Worcester. If we were to simply close the door and sever ties with any and all people who rub against us the wrong way, who would ever preach the good news to those who are dying to hear it in this city? Lastly, maybe, maybe our sinful tendency, instead of sweeping under the rug or severing ties instead of making peace, maybe our sinful tendency is to make war. What I mean by that, it can be physical war, it can be verbal war against those we find um, difficult in the relationships that we have friction in and uh, as Jesus was preaching this sermon, um, he would have been surrounded by his disciples, including Simon, uh, and probably some other folks like Simon who were zealots. At the time of Jesus' uh, teaching this sermon, um, Israel was under Roman rule and authority, and the, the Romans were oppressing them, mistreating them. Uh, and the zealots were the, were the Jews or the Israelites who said, well, you know what, we're going to see your violence uh, with um, more violence. And the zealots would often uh, kill 
um, Roman authorities and, and governors and, and, and people who are loyal to Rome's cause. And, and I almost guarantee you that as Jesus came out of, out of his mouth, as, as out of his mouth these words, blessed are the peacemakers, I bet as those words came out of his mouth, the zealots had to have just been blown away because they were starting to see that Jesus was not going to endorse what they were doing. He certainly wasn't going to jump on board with overthrowing the Roman rule. In fact, it was, a, it was a different way that Jesus was taking things. And could it be that in our friction, in our relational unrest with one another, with family members, with the world outside, that we make war with our lips... That we, that we sow anxiety and division with our words of gossip about brothers and sisters behind their backs. We actually sow the very thing that Jesus is telling us to. The opposite of peace is unrest. The opposite of peace is anxiety. We're sowing anxiety and unrest with divisive words and words of discord about one another. The, the, the church is not sterilized from this issue. Another way that we might make war, and, and this is a little bit more applicable to the world around us, I've seen in, in many, too many churches um, uh, the motto, don't tread on me, um, being flown much higher than uh, the flag of, of Jesus and, and peacemaking. And, and I have brothers who are Christians who are so, I don't want to step on toes, but I, I kind of do, who are so obsessed and consumed with the idea of concealed carrying and being ready. Just, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take out the regime if it comes time. Rather, than, I, I almost want to, and I have challenged them, like, brothers, what if the first response in the morning was not to prepare for war, but to get on your knees and to beg for the peace of God to fall on the city of Worcester and the surrounding areas. Why is it that we're anticipating a war when we could be praying for the peace of God? I've seen that too, too often, especially in, in the American church, and I believe it's just an indication that, man, we, I, I don't think that some of us trust that's a blessed thing to be a peacemaker that it's a happy thing to be a peacemaker. We think it's a better thing to take matters into our own hands like, like Simon the Zealot. That's not what Jesus is getting after. The Holman Study Bible says that the, the ministry of peacemaking involves resolving conflict, resolving conflict by making prompt apologies, acts of restitution, refusing to seek revenge, and humbly serving one's enemies. In doing so, the writer continues, we reflect the character of our Heavenly Father and so are called children of God. Thank God that Jesus on his throne did not look down upon us rebels, did not look down upon the unrest of our relationship with him, and treat us as a zealot would have. Come down and just obliterate the whole scene like he had every right to do. Thank God that Jesus didn't just sweep our issue under the rug 
living and letting live. We would have lived all the way into our condemnation forever. Thank God he didn't just sever ties and ignore the issue. Thank God Jesus did not address us the way we are so often tempted to address one another. But instead, he entered into the friction. He entered into the unrest willfully that out of it would come something amazing, this shalom being restored, a wholeness and healing, fullness, completion, glory. We ought to salivate for this very same thing that we have received between us and God. We ought to salivate for this, this very shalom in our relationships. I mean, church, there is nothing worse than coming in here week after week after week with a burr towards somebody. Right? A brother or sister who's lifting their arms right across the, the aisle from you and having, having an issue. And this is where it starts to kind of tease into what if, you know, I'm not a big resolution guy, but for the year 2019, I mean, we're always resolutions for, for this, that, and the other. What, what? Show me the person, show me the extreme lover of God who says, God, this year, by your grace, make me into a peacemaker. Make me into one who has the gentleness and the boldness, the humility and the honesty, the vulnerability to go to my brother or sister, to tell them when they've hurt me, to tell them when I see sin, and we'll work through this together and restore shalom until Jesus returns to bring it to complete fruition. So I have a couple of practical steps, you know, for the Christians who are here, who are, you know, all, I have peace with God. I, I trust Christ for, for my forgiveness and, and redemption. Um, I have relational friction. I have issues with some people even in this room. I have issues with family members. There's, there's unrest there. Maybe you're wondering, what are some practical ways that we can just simply implement what Jesus is, is trying to get his disciples on the mount to implement? A good place to start is right now. Just consider with me all of your relationships, with your spouse, your kids, Co-workers, friends, neighbors, just consider for a second your relationships. Is there any unrest whatsoever in those relationships? Is there any friction? Any, any burrs, any agitations that have, that, have, that have been there and that continue to be there? Now ask God to reveal to you any part that you had in that. Any words that you might have said any actions, any deeds that you might have done and ask him, ask him diligently like you really want him to answer because he will. He will show you where you have contributed friction to those relationships. He will do it. And then when he does, brothers and sisters, let's own it. Own it. Go to that person, not over text, Face to face, I, I promise you there's blessing in this, there's happiness in this. Go to that person so far as they're not a dangerous person, you know what I mean? Like that there's been an abuse situation, that's a real thing. Go to that person if you can and say the, the seven most rarely spoken words in the English language. I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? James 5.16 says to confess our sins to one another, 
to do this very thing, to pray for one another that we may receive healing. This is a simple step one, a very practical step in, in our Christian pursuit of peacemaking. Church, when, brother, sister, when was the last time that you actually humbled yourself to go and not shortcut an issue, say, oh, that was my bad, sorry about that, man, ah, my bad. When was the last time, man, dads, husbands, when was the last time in front of your kids, in front of your family, that you didn't shortcut the issue, but you put on the humility of Christ and said, I am sorry. I have sinned. I'm going to call it what it is. I've sinned and I ask your forgiveness. We ought to be chief apologizers, us Christians. We ought to be good at apologizing. Someone who knows how to apologize to another knows how to apologize to the Lord. There's a posture that that, that posture translates Someone who's good at repenting to others, who does it thoroughly, you know that they have a great repentance life before the Lord, and vice versa. If you can't say sorry ever, I doubt you maybe have ever said sorry to the Lord. Another way we can pursue peacemaking, practically, is when we think someone has sinned against us. Now, I say that when we think someone has sinned against us. I mean... The church can often be a poster boy for taking things out of proportion and being hurt when things uh, unnecessarily hurt. Am I, am, I, am I making sense? We can too easily take offense at one another is what I'm getting at. But one way we can, another way we can pursue peacemaking is when we think we've been sinned against, man, run that by the Lord in prayer for a couple of days even fast, run it by him. Am I looking too much into the, what she said? Am I looking too, into much to, too, too much into what he did? Bathe it in prayer, and if the Lord still reveals it's on your heart, that brother sinned against you, then go to that brother, Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Don't let the issue fester, fester. A root of bitterness is a real thing. It will grow. It will ruin that relationship. Go to that brother or sister and speak humbly by God's grace. Speak honestly and by God's grace, ask more questions than you make statements. Brother, am I perceiving this wrong? You said something to me the other day that that grieved my heart. Am, did I hear you wrongly? Help me to understand. Did I perceive that action rightly? Help me to understand. Do you see how that in and of itself, rather than pointing the finger and making the accusation, it's, it's almost disarming to simply say, I need clarity. I believe I've been hurt, and I want to know if it's true, if it's accurate, if it's right. Can we talk about this? Oh my gosh, there's healing in that. Oh my gosh, there's healing in that. When somebody asks for your forgiveness at the end of a conversation like that, oh, please give it to them. Please give it to them. All too often, even in my own callous, sinful heart, I say I forgive you, and I really don't. 
please actually forgive them. Sometimes they won't ask for forgiveness and you remain grieved. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, brother, live peaceably with all. There comes a point in time where you've done whatever you can and you have to surrender the situation to the Lord. The Lord will continue to make peace where there is no peace. Lastly, another practical, I'm wrapping up right now. I told you it was going to be a very practical uh, ending of a sermon. Lastly, we can pursue peacemaking in the broader arena of life, at work, at school, at the gym, by being people who pray for opportunities to give the peace of Jesus to those who need it. Pastor J.D. Greer of a church in, I believe, North Carolina once preached a sermon, and he, at the end of it, he, it was a sermon about prayer. And what he said was, brother or sister, if the Lord were to answer every single one of your prayers today, how many people would be saved? That struck me to my core. That, man, as someone who's been called to be a peacemaker image bearer, reflector of Christ in this, I go out my door 99% of the time without even asking the Lord to create opportunities for me to share the good news. I barely pray for lost people that they would be saved. It's It's a side effect that comes with hanging out with awesome Christians all the time at my job. But man, that we would be a people who Beg the Lord for opportunities. The Apostle Paul writes in in Romans 10 that that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he asks, well, but how will they call on him since they don't currently believe in him? And then he concludes, those people at your gym and and in your cafeteria, well, they won't believe in him. They won't call upon him unless you preach the gospel to them. That's what Paul literally writes. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. Christ. So today and tomorrow, as we consider the the end of 2018, and my goodness, I'm so excited to leave this year behind. (laughs) It's been a hard year. I'm so, not that there's a magic line or anything, right? But like, you know, this invisible line that we cross when the ball drops, it's like, oh, it's a new year. Um, maybe, maybe as we think of the new year that's, that's coming up, maybe commit some time over the next couple of days. Pray, and ex- pray about and examine your relationships. What's a way that we could be proactive peacemakers? Ask the Lord to, to help you to sow peace where you have previously sown friction and division why not commit to praying uh, about approaching someone who who has who's grieved you who's who's hurt you who's sinned against you that you've held on to why not why not pray about that ask for the ability ask for the help hebrews 13 god is going to give you the help that you need that will preclude that will that will eliminate this root of bitterness that, that so easily grows up in our hearts Lastly, maybe pick somebody out, a coworker, somebody that you eat with in the cafeteria. Maybe pick out someone who you know does not know Jesus and commit to praying for them personally by name for opportunities to show them the love of Christ and to preach to them the love of Christ and the good news and, and thereby making 
were doing the work of peacemakers at that point. And Jesus says, happy are those who make peace. It is a blessed thing. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray.